You are listening to the Let's Talk About Sex Trafficking Podcast. Your co-hosts, Christy Wells and Brittany Dunn, will interview survivors, industry experts, and community leaders who are committed to increasing survivor identification beyond 1%. This is the first step to ending child sex trafficking in America by 2030. Join us for real facts, real stories, and real ways you can be part of the movement to end child trafficking. Hello, I'm so excited to welcome Lisa Lombardozzi. She is a wife, a mother, a professional, and a child abuse thriver. Despite being abused from infancy to nearly 19, she refused to allow her childhood trauma to become her lifelong identity. And now she uses her abuse experiences to reach other survivors with a message of hope and healing. Lisa has spoken to groups large and small to bring awareness and education on identifying and preventing sexual abuse. In 2017, she met with senators and delegates at the Virginia General Assembly to communicate the need for better personal protection education to be taught from preschool through high school and intends to continue to work with lawmakers on these tough issues. She has served on the board of multiple child and military-related nonprofits and enjoys volunteering. Professionally, Lisa serves as practice administrator for three Virginia Beach chiropractic offices and frequently speaks on team development and practice management for a variety of chiropractic groups and associations. Thank you for being here today, Lisa. We're excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, so your bio obviously gives a little bit of um, background on you, but in general, how has this year been for you, for your family, for your practice, all of those good things? COVID has turned the world upside down for everyone, and uh, it definitely did for us too, but thankfully the fields that we're in have allowed us to continue on and really still bring a lot of healing and help to our community. So we have no complaints. We understand that the world is hurting, and we've tried to be really supportive people's needs as providers, but we're really good. We're blessed. We've, we've had a good year. <laughs> That's great. So as we kind of get into this, child sexual abuse and child trafficking is a really complex issue. From your perspective, kind of what has drawn you into taking such a forward stance on it? Obviously, your past informs some of that, but not every survivor chooses to volunteer or reach out in that capacity. So what kind of drives you? Well, I think that there's a few things that drive that. I think number one, in order for there to be a change, people have to have better information of what's happening and how these things happen around us all the time. And I think survivors have the best perspective, maybe not the funnest perspective, but they have the clearest perspective of how these things happen and um, how they can be avoided. So I really think that education is just a massive part of it. Education without action is not going to do us much good, but education with action is just huge. And so I'm a big proponent of prevention. I'm also super, super um, supportive of survivors. You know that. That's a a big part of of what I love to do. But I would love to see there be less survivors. (laughs) I would love to see there be less incidences of abuse, if that makes sense. And so for me, just has been understanding that prevention is key. That has been a huge thing. I think that every person has the right to be loved and be protected. And a big part of that comes with educating families and educating people who are in capacities of authority, whether that's with children or with any vulnerable um, populations. And it really comes down to it. So my big driving force has been, I've learned a lot through that process 
and said, okay, how can I take what I learned and use it in such a way that we can create more prevention? And then on the flip side of that, help people who have had those experiences, how can they have more healing in their lives. And again, I know there are so many wonderful people that help that are not survivors. And that to me is so amazing. But I think someone who who has experienced that can come alongside another person in a different capacity, you know, and um, not always in a better capacity, but in a different capacity and, and put their arm around them, so to speak, and say, hey, I've walked in your shoes. Let me walk alongside you, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know that you have just been such a fierce advocate for survivors in your community, survivors nationwide. You were an incredible contributor to the on watch training to really help elevate that understanding across America. You talked a lot about prevention and what the power that that has, but can you talk a little bit about where you see individuals having the opportunities in their communities to really engage in prevention, whether they're a parent or they're in a church, or how do you see everybody having that opportunity? I think that more people want to help than what we sometimes understand, or that is sometimes can feel like. But I really believe that the average person, because I talk to people about this kind of stuff all the time, they don't know where to start. They don't know what to offer. And, and it is complex. That's something that Brittany alluded to before. You know, child abuse, trafficking, all of that is, is a complex thing. And it's kind of scary. So people pull away from it, but it doesn't have to be. And everyone has resources. They do. They either have time or they have finances or they have a skill set that they can teach or, or they have some sort of networking that can help with survivors of, of, ch- of child sexual abuse or trafficking. Uh, obviously, it's what Safe House works with the most. So my best advice I tell people all the time is you need to get in touch with local nonprofit, a good nonprofit. And I'm not saying this just because I'm with you guys. Safe House Project is phenomenal. What you guys do, you're so authentic, you're genuine. We've been connected now for a while and worked on a number of things. And I've seen that authentic side. And I've also seen the intelligent side. I've worked with a lot of nonprofits and I've learned from them and I've enjoyed every part of that. But you guys are unique in the sense that you really are putting the needs of the survivors first, which I think is just amazing. And how collaborative you are with other nonprofits across the country. So that's not to be said to be like, oh, I'm on with you guys, so I'm going to say that. No, it's a great place if you want to learn about how to prevent, if you want to learn how to identify and then how to report and how to support, then that is a great way because you're not going to be able as a outside person looking in to just walk up to someone who's had this complex situation and know how to manage that. No one would. And I know you guys with so much experience still are reaching out to a lot of people. You have a wide network. You're not the only person that's trying to work with these with these complex situations because not only is there trauma that has to be worked through, but there's a lot of just life stuff, just with the name of what you guys have, safe house, like where are they going to live? How are they going to make money? You know, so I think for the average person, they have so much that they can offer. They just need a little guidance and, and some guidelines on how to do it. And so find that nonprofit that you have faith in and that you've researched and that is really going to be a good resource for you, for you to put your resources into, I guess you should say, and come alongside them and, and get to work. It's not that hard. You don't have to have money. But if you do, that's great too. If this stuff is not free, you know, I mean, that's the truth. Right. So I just think if you have a skill set or and you have a heart for it, the, the ways to offer it is, is endless. You just need to be in touch with the people who are in touch with those who have the needs. 
Absolutely. You touched on something about just kind of that lifetime of the survivor and being able to walk alongside and make sure that they're getting the restorative care that they need. And we know that, as we've always said, the two biggest parts of the Safe House Project attacks in this issue is the increase in victim identification above 1% and that increase of national capacity to make sure that survivors have the opportunity to heal. But you, as somebody who has endured child sexual abuse and who has kind of pieced together that healing, can you help our audience understand really what it looks like to be free of that? A lot of people think that freedom comes the moment that they're distanced from those who were abusing them. But what that true restoration and and freedom and healing looks like for a survivor? I think that that is such a great question and such a great thing to say too, because even for the person that is the survivor, it can be very conflicting. As soon as you're out of that situation, there is this massive sense of relief and and that's good and, and you should have it. But I think what people are not told enough of is that there's layers. And I think that that is something that even with the counseling that I've had, which I'm all for, and even the other people I've talked with, and I've had a lot of love and support, it's just very personal, you know, and it comes up at different times. It's going to be different for every single person, but you're going to go through times where you're like, I can't, it's so funny because there's so many times when I've been like, I am 100%, everything is perfect. And then you have a life event happen or something come up in your world that kind of brings things to the surface. And you're like, I have some work to do. I have some time. So I truly believe that you can heal hundred percent. I absolutely do. Whether it's sexual abuse, trauma, whether it's domestic abuse, whether it's verbal abuse, whether it's anything that's been really traumatic in your life, whether it's the trauma that soldiers get from being overseas, there are layers and you have to be willing to really put the mental focus into it. And I think that for me, it's been a big combination of like prayer and meditation has been huge in my life to help me center because what you think about most of the time is the quality of your life. It just is. There's no way around it. You can be in the best relationships with all the money in the world and be as safe as possible. But if you still don't feel that way, it doesn't matter, you know? And so you really have to get your own head on straight, so to speak. You have to be in a frame of mind where you can see past how you feel. Because I think as survivors, I think as anyone, I mean, what's hard for me is that I grew up with this, you know, from the time I was an infant, that abuse was in my life. So it was not just trying to get back to normal. It was trying to find what is normal, what is balance, you know, and that was challenging to find, but there was so much fear instilled. There were so many pockets of trauma that was instilled that it took a long time. It took, I shouldn't say a long time, but it took time for me to be able to sit back and say, you know, what's reality just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it is. And I think that that is some of the most powerful things that I had to to really learn. But that healing, it, it is a process, but it's a process that can continue. And I can tell you firsthand has continued and it doesn't have to stop. And you don't have to live with this residual, like something's hanging over my head, something's bad gonna happen. You know, you really can heal and have an amazing life. I know it, I have one, I've got it, you know, and I'm so grateful, so, so grateful. Yeah. And I think what's really a testimony to how much work you've put into your healing journey is that you were able to press charges against your abusers. And maybe you could speak a little bit to how necessary it is to feel stable as you're going into that process so that you, as a survivor, are in the best position emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of those things to undergo that process because it isn't easy. 
No, it's not, but it's, it is the most worthwhile thing I've ever done. Aside from my family, it is the most worthwhile thing I have ever done. So when everything changed in my life, I was 19 and things came out with another family member, you know, a lot of things came out and my father went to prison for about 10 and a half years and right before he was going to get out. So, so I, I say this to answer your question. When that happened, I tried to go speak to a detective and say, Hey, I want to press charges as well but I just could not. I could not. And in hindsight, as much as I wanted to right then, I'm glad I didn't because it, I think it would have been the end of me. I don't think at that point with everything so new that I was ready to do that. So you fast forward 10 years and some change. We're into 2014 at this point, and he still is in prison at that point. But you know, I have some real decisions to make, and I'm very passionate about pressing charges without prosecuting because it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen hardly at all. And I know why. It's It's very, very challenging to face your abuser. It's very hard to go through the legal system. The legal system doesn't necessarily make it hard. I want to be clear on that. But as a survivor, the steps are very challenging emotionally. So, you know, you fast forward and I had this time to heal and had to make some decisions and I was in a better place, much better place, much healthier. And um, I did, I went forward and it was harder than I had ever expected. And Again, I do wish that people would have told me simple things like you're going to be in really close proximity to that person. You're going to be like within, depending on how the courtroom set up, within a few feet of them at times. We were in multiple courtrooms because you work through juvenile and into the regular court system. And it's just you need to be able to be secure in who you are and have a support system and be mentally and emotionally stable. And I would highly recommend to be seeing a therapist during that time. I would highly recommend that you are decreasing every other amount of stress you possibly can. I mean, I worked through the, everything and that was, I worked like professionally through all this and that was a blessing because it kept me distracted. But had I known, I would have probably set up that year professionally a little bit different. And there's a lot of meetings. There's a lot, you don't just see them once. You know, I think I saw him a total of like six times because there were times when he was trying to go up for bail and you don't have to show up for those, but when you do, everyone makes sure that the judge knows who you are. And when they look at you, it's very hard for them to say, yeah, we're gonna let that person out on bail. And they didn't, you know, so the long story short, in my case, he never did get out, which I'm grateful for. He's been in for now over 18 years and he's gonna be in until I think the end of 28, you know? And I, I say that you should prosecute because of what it does for the survivor, number one. It has nothing to do about being angry. It has everything to do with trying to hold someone accountable. And I think that's really important because that will deter some people from moving forward. You know, these kind of crimes are crimes that people doing them think that they will never get caught. And if they do get caught, they think they won't get any time. When everything came out and I was 19 years old, my father looked at me and he said, you need to get over this. I'm going to go. I've already researched this. Yeah. Right. He said, I've already researched this. I'm going to maybe get two years. They won't make me serve any of the time and I'm coming back. And I just remember being filled with fury. I mean, like fury I've never had before. And um, that was the last conversation we ever had. I don't have that fury now, but it doesn't change the fact that while that will never replace what he did, it did give me my dignity. It did change my outlook and it has helped me heal it in ways that I could talk about for a very long time. So I would highly recommend people doing it. If, they, if there's ever anyone that's like, I want to talk with you, I want to you know, get the details of what I should expect. I am all ears. I am a huge advocate for that, but it's just, it's a challenging thing. And you have to make sure that you are ready for people that the person who you are accusing 
or who you're holding accountable is going to have an attorney. And that attorney's job is to make you sound like a liar. And so they ask you questions that are horrific over and over again. And you really do feel like, am I crazy? You know, but when you stick with it, you can get some amazing results. And I think it's important. It absolutely is. And I think what it goes toward is just the support that survivors need for the long haul. Like it's not about one moment in time. It's not about that moment of escape. It's about walking alongside people to really to be there, be that support. And that can look a lot of different ways. I know that, you know, our team always says it takes each one of us to be part of that individual's life because we all come at these situations differently. We all have different lived experiences and wisdom that we can impart. And so when a survivor feels like they're a part of a community going into whatever that next phase of their journey is, they're looking for people to speak life and truth into their situation. And so I think that's a huge opportunity for people as they start to live life alongside survivors is to say, how can I be a friend? How can I help you feel like you belong? It's not this hierarchical relationship. It's shoulder to shoulder walking into life and saying, we're here to support you. Yeah, and I think maybe that's one reason why I understand the term survivor. And I think that it, it's meant in a powerful way, but I don't love it because I, I know for myself and the survivors that I've talked to that we don't want to be categorized that way. I understand in conversations like this why we use those terms, but no, I'm a human. I had some really traumatic experiences, worked through them, and that does not define my life. And I think that's the whole thing. Like most of us, I would imagine just want to like, we just want to live. We want to be happy. We want to be helpful. We want to be all the things, you know, that's not, oh, I hope I'm treated differently my whole life as a survivor, you know? So I think to, to your, you know, comment, Brittany, coming alongside survivors as equals because they are and saying like, Hey, you've had some rough stuff. I'm here to support you. And you know, what's amazing. Those survivors are going to support you in things too, because they're humans. And so, you know what I mean? It, it should be a really um, great relationship. And, and I definitely agree with you on that. I love that. As we kind of move to close, I'd love, you have such a beautiful heart for, you know, those who have gone through some of the darkest parts of humanity, those who, you know, are still going through those. What are your words to survivors or to those still in those situations, what is one thing you would really want them to hear? That's what makes me emotional a little bit. So my words to survivors are to people who are really hurting right now. So excuse me, I'm a very, I'm always a crier. No, that's something I'm passionate about. But I would say, I would say just hang in there. The way you feel right now is not going to be the way you feel later. I mean, I truly do remember praying like, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I don't want to be here. And people don't talk about that a lot, but that's a real thing. Do I have an amazing, beautiful life now? I do. It's a life that anyone, anyone who saw would be like, wow, that's, and it is, I'm so blessed. But if you saw me, you know, 15 years ago, it wouldn't have looked the same. And if you saw me even 10 years ago, it wouldn't have looked the same. So my whole thing for survivors is this does not have to define you. This does not have to be your life. This is a challenge that you absolutely can overcome. I highly recommend that you have a strong faith in God. If you don't, that is a very personal thing, but that has been such a sustaining, powerful force in my life. Highly, highly recommend it. Get yourself 
into some groups that are going to be positive and helpful to you, you know, declutter your life, declutter your mind, you know, but just understand that these are moments. These are moments. These are not forever. You're writing your story. Your story gets to end the way that you want it to end. This is just the middle. This is just one part. You know, if we had a movie that had no drama, nothing happened in it, it would be a pretty boring movie. And I'm not saying that we want our lives to be um, chaotic in order to have a good story, but we can't change the past, but we absolutely can create the future. And we are so powerful and there's so many resources. And I just would really say like, you're worthy of a great life. You can absolutely have the love and the joy and the health and the happiness that you deserve. Hang in there, reach out to the right people, get the help that you need and have faith in yourself and confidence that this does not have to be forever. If you want to take a negative that kind of drove me was this person took so much from me, they're not going to take any more. And that has been at times a big catalyst for change. Not always the most positive one, but something that definitely helps. So you're loved, you're worthy, and you were created for a purpose. Find it. As we close, William Wilberforce once said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. We've all had defining moments in our lives where we faced a choice to either engage or look the other way. Make your choice now to engage. Subscribe to our podcast for future content involving how you can make a difference in stopping trafficking by 2030.